It's good to, to be back with you all on, on Sunday. We're, we're uh, seeing some new faces, so it's good to see some of you with us today. We're, we're, we're growing as a congregation in our singing, too. Thank you, Tito and, and the guys, for leading us in, in song. You guys are doing well singing. Um, if you're here today as a visitor, you've jumped in in the middle of a, a sermon series we are in. It's titled, The Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, quick recap, uh, we are in our fourth installment out of seven, uh, so we've dealt with pride and anger and greed, and today we will talk about sloth. And uh, just uh, just housekeeping note, um, I'll actually be out of the pulpit the next two Sundays, uh, much, uh, much needed break there for a moment, um, but we have two very very gifted and able men handling the word for us the next two Sundays. So you, you will not want to, to miss the next two Sundays. So Rick Smith will be preaching uh, next Sunday on uh, gluttony. And then uh, our own Gabriel Gonzalez Camargo will be preaching on envy the following week. So uh, I may not have a job when I, when I get back. That's always the risk you run when you leave your pulpit. But uh, you'll want to come back uh, the next two Sundays. Um, sloth. You hear that word, and one thing probably comes to your mind, it's the animal, right? So we've kind of all got this image of the sloth, and, you know, my world right now is a lot of Disney and Pixar movies, and so you'll know where I'm headed with this if you've seen Zootopia. Um, if you have not, if you don't have children, your children are out of the house or whatever, and you've, you're not watching these movies, you've got to YouTube this, this little clip, Zootopia, Sloth. DMV, uh, DMVC, or MVD, I guess it's called, the Motor Vehicle Department. Uh, listen, it's, a, it's sloths that work in the Motor Vehicle Department. It's hilarious. I, it, is, it is worth your three minutes of time. But we, we think about these sloths, these animals, right? These gangly, hairy, long-clawed, slow animals, right? Couple, couple Wikipedia factoids just to kind of wet the juices this morning. Uh, so sloths apparently only use the restroom once a week out of laziness. So they are in the tree all week, and then they'll go down the tree once a week to relieve themselves. However, during rainy season, they don't even bother to go down the tree. They just let it go. So, so there's that. Another little factoid, interesting fact about sloths, is they are, apparently are built to be able to handle falls from, from trees. They're kind of built that way. They don't usually die. However, the young animals, the, the baby sloths, as it were, uh, cannot always bear that. And so if they take a fall, they will either die or they'll fall down there and they can't get back up. The parents are too lazy to go to retrieve their young if they fall. I don't know if this is sloth-wide in the sloth nation or if this was just this article. I don't know. But you get the picture. The picture of laziness, unresponsiveness, kind of the flat life, right? Well, that, that's part of sloth. That, that's part of what it looks like. But it's not the whole story. It's not the whole picture. Uh, today, we're going to look at a proverb. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to the book of Proverbs, which is kind of in the middle there. It's around the Psalms. So uh, Proverbs, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter uh, 21. Uh, so Proverbs are these little maxims of truth with lots of life application in them. And so we're just going to pull one of these little truth maxims out of the Proverbs, and we're going to use that as a bit of a platform, and we're going to explore some other scriptures to talk about 
what sloth is. But let's look at Proverbs 21, verse 25 and 26. If you don't have a Bible, the words are projected for you. Uh, let it be known, we love to give Bibles away, though. So there are free Bibles on our Next Steps table as you exit the, the space today. So if you'd like a Bible in the version that I read and preach from, which is the English Standard Version, you are welcome to grab one of those on your way out. This is the word of the Lord from Proverbs chapter 1, looking at verses 25 and 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask him to bless the preaching of it. Father, we come now uh, with hopeful hearts to hear about our sin but also to hear about our Savior. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us now to consider the sin of sloth, for us to see it in our lives, and for us to flee to the Savior with hopes of being rescued, not only from judgment, but also to, be, to have the abundant life. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The last, um, I guess, maybe four or five months, I've made mention of some movies. Uh, it's not always my habit to connect kind of an opening thing with a movie, but I've done that, and so now this will be my third out of my top five movies I've listed, okay? So I'm hanging on to those last two, for those of you that are taking notes. Like, my last two you will not find out for a while. So uh, I've, I've talked about, uh, let's see, uh, Goodwill Hunting. I've talked about uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and today my connection point is Groundhog Day. So Groundhog Day uh, it's a great movie. Um, Groundhog Day is Bill Murray, and he is a news producer, pr production guy, and he is doing coverage in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania for Groundhog Day, February 2nd. And he finds himself every day waking up to the same thing, right? Repetition. Same thing every day. And, you know, for the first few days, it takes him a little while to figure it out, but then he gets it. He's never going to escape Groundhog Day. This is, this is his destiny. This is what his life will be. And so he begins embracing what life in Groundhog Day will be. And it, and it begins really with just some really just hedonistic pleasures, you know, food and drink. He eats whatever he wants for breakfast. He's smoking and drinking. And he's just like, hey, if there's no consequences, if, if my life is inconsequential because it's in Groundhog Day forever, let me just live. And that becomes boring to him, so he moves on to the next thing, and that is to seduce his news producer, Rita. And so he begins to learn about this woman, to seduce her really into the bedroom is all his only purpose for that. And so he begins to learn things about her, and then when he messes up, he'll go the next day. And, and finally, he gets her to supposedly fall in love with him, but he's not moved by this love. It's, it's a distant love. It's, it's really just for pleasure, and it's really just a game to him. And she discovers him, and she, you know, she's appalled that he would do something like this to her. And so, he, and so she doesn't fall for the trick anymore. And so he falls and he tumbles into this great depression, this really this despairing hope of his life that it, this is how it will be. And so he watches Jeopardy, you know, the same episode, end on end. He's got all the answers just down. And he, he has a number of actually unsuccessful suicide attempts because his life is so despairing. And he just tumbles. And um, he finally begins to open up to the idea of being changed by love. And so he finally moves uh, towards this news producer in a way that is willing for him to not only love her the way that she wants to be loved, 
but also that he's willing to be changed by that love. And so the, the love story plays out, and it works out, and, and the, 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 the nightmare of Groundhog Day ends, and they're in love and, and happily ever after. Here's the connection. You see, Phil, in the movie, Bill Murray, he gives us a picture of sloth's resistance to be changed by love. He, he shows us how sloth is opposed to transformation. However, he also shows us what it does ultimately look like to be moved and transformed and changed by love. See, sloth is this vain attempt for us to get what we want with putting little to no effort towards it. That's the essence of love. And, and if you're like me, at first hearing of sloth and laziness, you think, well, this one probably doesn't apply to me because I am not lazy. If, if anything, I am the hardest working, busiest scheduled person around. And so this can't have anything to do with, with me. And, and I think you'll be surprised when you find out today that sloth actually has more to do with being lazy about our love than it has to do with being lazy about our work. So today, here's how we're going to look at it. Just really want to take three kind of hooks to hang the sermon on. We're going to look at sloth defined first, and then we're going to look at sloth discovered in our own lives, and then we're going to look at sloth destroyed. So let's, let's look at sloth defined um, first. What is sloth? Um, I mentioned this kind of at the beginning of the series, how, how these seven deadly sins were really crafted in these 4th and 5th century kind of monk settings, these desert monks who would, would go out and they would practice spiritual disciplines you know, to the, to the nine, I mean, all the way, all in, all the time. And they developed these, these seven deadly sins to really, to really grow in their, in their faith and in their understanding of who God is and also to grow in a restlessness towards their sin. And so one of the ways that they would talk about sloth in particular in a couple of the authors that I read is they would call it the noonday demon. The noonday demon, here's a little quote just to give a little context. They call it like this, and when you hear demon, don't think, um, there's a little bit of a hyper-spirituality kind of behind this, but really they're just talking about just, just the way that sloth really works itself into our lives. So here's, here's a quote that I pulled out. It says, the demon of Acadia, Acadia is just another word for sloth in their day, the demon of Acadia, also called the noonday demon, is the most oppressive of all the demons. He attacks the monk about the fourth hour, which was 10 a.m., and besieges his soul until about the eighth hour, 2 p.m. Here, here, here's why. So 3 p.m. is when monks ate lunch, okay? So from 10 to 2 is kind of that moment of restlessness when hunger creeps and you're asking yourself, is this really all worth it? What am I doing you start, you know, these big existential questions. These were, this is apparently what monks were struggling with too. And, um, and, and it's in that moment that hopelessness and despair and sloth made itself known. And so existence became really insubstantial and inconsequential. That, that It really drew into their sphere, why am I here? Why am I even doing all of this? And that's when sloth begins to grip you. And so it's this almost this inner sadness of the soul that comes in and stirs questions of existence and hope and desire. 
There's a few things that we need to know about sin. Uh, one of them is that, si- that sloth is a sin of desire. So if you look at the proverb, I mean, even the language of this little truth here is, is, is that of desire. It says, the desire of the sluggard kills him. And then verse 26, all day long he craves and craves. And so really, this sin has to do with our desire and our craving. And here's the key to sloth. The greatest desire and the greatest comfort of, uh, the greatest craving of sloth is comfort. Comfort is what sloth is after. And it slowly consumes a person until it gets what it wants. And so this is one of those subtle sins that will creep into your life, unexpected and unannounced. And so it begins to question, what do I desire? Um, One of the early church fathers, uh, St. Augustine, in his book, Confessions, he talked about how all sin, not just sloth, is really a sin of disordered love. When we disorder and uh, unprioritize our love, in other words, we're supposed to love God, love others, and then love ourselves. When those get disordered, that's when sin happens. And so we are shaped really by what we love most. It's not primarily what we think or believe, though that does shape us, but it's what we love. It's what we desire. It's what we crave. And sloth wants comfort. Comfort is offered to us in all kinds of forms. So so when you think about sloth, and you think about comfort, don't just think about the lazy person. We'll kind of flesh this out in a minute. But it comes in forms of busyness. It clothes itself in exhaustion. Sloth is everywhere. Um, If you're familiar with the New Testament, um, you'll remember this encounter, but Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he encountered this rich young ruler. Remember this encounter? He was the, the rich young ruler came up to Jesus, and, and many people came up to Jesus looking for these deep existential questions to life. And he came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus would respond with extensively quoting the law and basically saying, love God and love your neighbor. And, and the rich young ruler says, I've done all this. And then Jesus replies and he says, now go and do this. Take all of your possessions, sell them, give them to the poor, and then come follow me. And if you remember this, Jesus noticed and he observed the way the man responded. The text says that Jesus saw that he had become sad. That the man, upon hearing this news of what it required of him to follow Jesus, became sad. That sloth. It's an appetite that his rich material possessions couldn't satisfy And he knew it, that he no longer had a palate for the things of God, the law. This was probably a Jewish man, but he had lost all his appetite, all of his cravings, all of his desires, and inside he was sad and slowly dying. It's a picture of sloth. See, sloth is, here's kind of my working definition that we'll move on from. Here's my my working definition that I've crafted. Sloth is characterized by a decreased appetite for God and an increased appetite for comfort. That's really where you begin to handle and understand what sloth is. Decreased appetite for God, 
increased appetite for comfort. So let's look at, secondly, sloth discovered. Um, I've tried to get into the zombie thing. Uh, Some of you are Walking Dead fans. I've talked to some of you about this. The Walking Dead series and other spinoffs of it, I just can't get into it. I don't know. It's it's a, little, it's a little gruesome for me. But most of us have a, a working picture of what a zombie is on TV, at least. Uh, I'll spare you the details, but they kind of shuffle. I'll, I won't do the full moves, but they, we're on Facebook Live, and I'm, I'm, I'm shuffling. Um, but, you know, they do this weird shuffle thing where they, they're just, they're, they're, I mean, they're dead. They're walking, but they're dead. And they're shuffling through life, and, and they really have no existence, no purpose, This is kind of the picture that came to mind as I was thinking through what sloth is. It doesn't always look so gruesome on the outside, but it is the essence of shuffling through life. Um, Frederick Frederick Buechner, in his book, Wishful Thinking, put it like this, and I'll just quote him because he says it better than I could. He says this, speaking about sloth. He says, sloth is not to be confused with laziness. A slothful man may be a very busy man. He's a man who goes through the motions. He flies on automatic pilot. Like a man with a bad head cold, he has mostly lost his sense of taste and smell. People come and go, but through glazed eyes, he hardly notices them. He is letting things run their course. He is getting through his life. That, that captures sloth. Getting through life. Sloth is spiritual apathy, and it thrives even in busyness. Um, It's this despondency towards God. It's this cold distance from what God would have you taste and see and smell and what your reality really is. Um, Hearts that are filled with sloth are really skeptical about grace And so frequently they will reject forgiveness with hopes of a better solution, primarily earned through busyness. So it's be better, try harder. Uh, Slothful hearts are despairing of hope. They are doubtful. They are skeptic. They are cynical people. They're bitter oftentimes. And listen, they are all over the place. They are here today. They are up here speaking. They're everywhere. They're on couches, Netflix binging. They are in corporate rooms of large industries at the tables. They are filling church chairs all over our country. They're everywhere. And so let's, let's just put a little skin on this um, and really talk about what slothfulness might look like. So what, is, what does slothfulness look like in lazy people? Um, it's entertainment ad nauseum. I mean, it's, it's triviality all the time. Uh, again, this is not a, a declaration of don't have leisure. It's not. It's not that, I promise. But it's, that is all they live for. All right? So it's, it's Netflix or die. Um, it's hobby on end. Um, you know, it's, it's numbing activities. So what used to be a, a nice glass of wine at dinner has now turned into finishing the bottle the rest of the evening so that you can escape really what you're dealing with. Um, it's, uh, you know, sports to the ninth. I mean, ask this person about 
a stat line from the 1992 Dodgers and they'll have it, but ask them for a Bible verse from the New Testament and there's nothing. So, I mean, it's just this increased appetite for things that they delight in. That's what it could look like. I mean, we live in what Albuquerque is known as the land of manana, right? So, like, we'll get it done tomorrow kind of attitude. It's all over us. And it's that spirit and that disposition and that posture towards the things of the Lord where sloth begins to grip us. So what does sloth look like in, in busy people? Well, this is, this is the incessant activity where every moment of every waking hour must be filled with something. Have you ever asked yourself why people are like that? Why are we like that? Well, it's because we think unless we're like that, we have no consequence. We have no meaning in this world. You know, it's consumption by work all the time. It's the need to get the email ding because it feeds your incessant need to be needed. It's the always must be present all the time in every way to everybody. Or, or maybe, maybe it's the, the, the zombie shuffle that gets through the week work, uh, the work week just to get to the weekend, right? Live for the weekend, Live and die by the weekend. It's always too short, right? Everybody complains about the short weekend. But like, we, we, we grind out work and we drive. We black out during our drive because we don't, we don't pay attention to anything. We just can get to work just so we can get to the weekends. Or it's, or it's living for the vacation. Like, that's, that's on the calendar. You know June's coming. And so you just have to get through April, May, and half of June so you can delight in that. It's slothful shuffling. What does it look like in religious people? <laughs> this one's fun. Um, it's going through the motions because you know you have to. It's doing the 10-minute devotional and a moment of prayer because you feel like God will shame you if you don't. It's ticking off boxes. It's coming to church out of guilt, obligation. You're in a small church, so you know your pastor's going to know if you're gone. And so there's this, this grueling sense that I have to be here. Um, it's glazed eyes when we talk about God. It's distracted minds. It's watching watches, looking at the food truck. It's what it looks like. And here's the thing about sloth in our lives. It slowly and subtly eats life away from us. It's not instant. It's slow. And it's gradual. And it's really, it's really deathly. And it's really suicide. So where is sloth in your life? Where have you become numb to the world around you? Where do you no longer see color? But it's just black and white. It's just the mundane. Do you walk and shuffle through life like a zombie? Is that where you're at today? Do you want to see life in color again? Do you want to taste and see and smell the good things that the Lord has put around you again? I think you do. So let's consider sloth destroyed and see where that hope, come from, hope comes from. So the question is, how can we destroy sloth in our lives? And here's the answer. That we would discover, perhaps for the first time, or rediscover, perhaps for the millionth time, the joy in the adventure of knowing and loving God. 
It sounds really Christian. It sounds really cliche. But here's what I know about you, because it's true about me. That oftentimes when we think about God, we think he is two things. Boring most of the time and useful sometimes. That's what we do. We think that God, generally speaking, is pretty darn boring, but he's useful when we're in a pinch. And so we kind of hang tight to that. But here's what the Bible actually teaches us. And we're going to look at a passage, the passage again. The Bible actually teaches us that God is not boring, but he's beautiful. And he's not just uh, useful, but he's to be delighted in. You see, for some of us, those are categories that have not been your Christian experience. That God is beautiful and, and something to be delighted in. So, so where do we discover a God who's beautiful enough that we can delight in him? Well, the answer is kind of twofold. You discover that in a person and you discover that in a place. Look back at the proverb, verse 26. At the end of verse 26, after describing the sluggard, someone whose hands refuse to labor, someone who is being killed by their cravings that cannot be satisfied, the end of verse 26 says this, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. So do you want to know where you can see the most slothless life ever lived? It's in the person of Jesus. Do you want to know what the life that gives and gives and is righteously viewed looks like? Well, look no further than the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus became a man to not only model what we ought to be doing, but also to earn what we couldn't do for us. And so Jesus becomes a man, and he lives with passion for God, sun up to sundown, for 30 plus years of his life. He knew your struggle. He worked. He didn't have a family, but he had friends. He was very involved in the religious scene. There was certainly entertainment and leisure options around him. Yet he was not pacified by them. He had passion for God and he had compassion for people. His life was full on in color all the time. He never missed a hurting person. He always saw the hopeless heart. And he saw it to the point that he would move towards them. That's why Jesus is so compelling. And he didn't just live with passion for God and compassion for people, but he was filled with such joy and delight in obeying what God would have for him, he would go to the most heinous site, the site of the cross. And so Jesus' death becomes God's vengeance towards people who are full of sloth. And so Jesus is treated like we ought to be treated. People who have regularly and habitually ignored God. People who have found solace and comfort and hope in things outside of God. People who have lost their appetite for God and increased their appetite for comfort. And then he took the death that should have come to us. That's what the righteous life that, does, that gives it all away offers us. And so if you're here today, the Bible teaches that there is one thing that must happen in order for you to get credit for the love and the life that Jesus did. And that's to transfer your trust from yourself 
to him. It's really that extraordinary. And, and so that's the person where the beauty of God and the delight of him is experienced, but he's also established a place, and you're in the middle of it. See, Jesus established the local church to be the center of life and love. Did you know that? And um, he really intends for it to be rather ordinary. And so, so, so most of your life is flashy and glittery, right? Like when we want to be entertained, it's all out. Like concert, sports venue, you, you name it. It's, it's to the top. And that's fine for entertainment. But the Lord actually gave us really ordinary places and things to experience so that you might delight in him. And so things like hugs and handshakes from other people who are in struggles with you, Things like bread and wine, where you might, on your lips, taste of his work for you. Uh, Things like the Bible, where we stand on the authority of his word and we hear it read and preached. Things like serving our children. All of these things are rather ordinary things. But this is the place where God's joy and delight is actually discovered. And so I think there's a number of you who have been around church a long time. Been around the church, it's not new territory to you, but you've always been on the fringes of the church, right? It's kind of like always been Sundays and, you know, moderate church attendance and a little bit of involvement. Um, But here's the problem with that. When you want to know what someone's husband is really like, who do you go to? You go to their kids? Eh. You go to their neighbor? No. You go to their wife, right? She will tell you what her husband is like if you really want to know. It's dangerous if you ask my wife, but if you really want to know what someone's husband is like, you go to their wife. See, the local church is the wife of God. See, this is his bride. And she is not perfect. She's not. So hear me. Mosaic Church is not a perfect church. And if it were, don't join it because you would mess it up. Right? So this is not a perfect church. However, this is the bride of Jesus. And if you want to know the groom, you find him in here. And so that's, that's my encouragement to those of you who've been on the fringes. Now, for others of you, you're like in it, neck neck deep. You've been in the church. You're at every meeting we ever offered. You're serving on all the teams. You're always doing something, the frenetic, incessant activity. You're doing study after study. You add studies to go home to do after you've been to a study. You've done all of that. And when you're honest with yourself, it's gnawing at you a little bit because it's never really enough. And the reason that's true is because you're looking for rest in all the wrong places. See, Jesus didn't come to offer you rest in religion. He came to offer rest in himself. And so, what does Jesus say to the person who is full of sloth today? Jesus says this in the Gospel of John. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden who are glazed with boredom and cold hearts toward God, 
who are shuffling from day to day just to get to the short weekend, come to me, all of you who cannot relieve yourself from the maddening exhaustion of Netflix binging and social media watching. Come to me, all of you who are crushed and consumed by your work. Come to me, who, all of you who are at church out of guilt and obligation. Come to me, all of you who are doubtful and cynical about God that he could be beautiful and delighted in. Come to me, and I will give you rest. See, the rest you've been looking for has been looked for in all of the wrong places. See, love like the love that Jesus offers his people today is a love that will change us. It's a love that will transform us. And it's a love that will be seen and known. So we can delight in joy because God has already delighted in joy in us. And that's the good news that's offered us today. And that's how Jesus rescues us from the grip that sloth can have in our lives. Oh, that we would find and discover rest like that. Let's pray and ask God to do that. Father, it is deeply uncomfortable to think about our sin like we have been in this series. But Lord, we pray that by your spirit you would make our sin known and that you would rip it out of our hearts and put it to death. And so Lord, my hope and prayer is not that we would leave this place feeling guilty over every you know, little leisureful or entertainment thing that we're doing, but, but Lord, that we would leave this place in awe of how you love us in spite of us that you could love people who are lazy and that you could love people who have lost their appetite for you, that you could love people who are going through the religious motions and you never change. But Lord, love like that changes us. And so Lord, I pray that even today that you would work in hearts so that we would throw sloth off and that our hunger and our joy and our delight and our satisfaction in you would increase. Lord, unless you do that, it won't happen. So Father, would you do that? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.